On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at Kentucky Fried Chicken's CRM. We're going to be taking a look at micro learning, Naval's guide to getting rich, and a lot, a lot more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder of Salesman.org, and joining me, the co-host of this show, sales royalty, Victor Antonio. Victor Antonio, how's it going? I'm sir? doing good, Will. How about yourself, man? I um, I was just about to say I'm doing good. I'm, I'm pretty ill. I don't know if you clocked it in our like pre-recording um, ramble that we usually have each week. But I've, I've had a headache for like three or four days. I've, I'm literally the first time in years and years and years not feeling very good at all. So there you go. You've asked. I've told you. I've had a COVID swab. It's definitely not COVID. Well, you you know, been, you've been working hard on a lot of content. You think you're not getting enough sleep? Maybe too much warring? What's going on? My partner said it might. It, it sounds like stress. So uh, I'm going to have a couple of days off this weekend. As as you know, I tried to have a week off a couple of weeks ago. It didn't happen. So yeah, it could be not necessarily stress, just lots of stuff happening. Which, uh, yeah, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying to make out that I'm not stressed. I'm probably just stressed. Yeah, that could be it. That could be it. <laughs> just, you know, breathe. <sighs> breathe, right? Sure. Sure. Because I, I don't feel overwhelmed or anything like that. I think I've just got a lot on my mind, a lot to do. So, uh, so that's that. As I said, I've had a headache. But yeah, other than that. Isn't it funny it. how it's like, you yourself can't identify, but other people can see it in you. Because my wife will say, no, no you're, you're stressed. You got too much going on. You need to, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm not. And then you, we're almost in denial mode all the time. Right? <laughs> no, I'm not stressed. I can, I can handle this. And you know what? They wind up being right. Partner's always right, man. So, yeah. yeah. And there's elements of uh, sales culture and this hustle culture that we're all trying to move towards when I know that... One of the reasons I've got a lot on at the moment, and we'll perhaps talk about this later on in the show when we talk about Naval's guide to getting rich and, and the content he's putting out. I'm really trying to simplify things and it's stressing me out how more, much more time I've got when I simplify things and I take away things from our own sales process to tie it back to sales for the audience, uh, marketing content and everything else. I'm taking away all the stuff that no one cares about and it's leaving me big gaps in my days and weeks and months to do more interesting stuff. But I'm like, I feel like I should be doing more when the sales are up every month. And, and so it, it's it's going to plan. But again, there's some kind of cultural element of uh, ingrained in my brain. I've been programmed, Victor, that I've got to work harder. Well, well I, I think that's in all of us, right? When, you, when, you, when you're not moving all the time, you're not doing something and you're just actually enjoying yourself, there's that little voice in your head like, you should be doing more. Why aren't you doing more? Come on, look at everybody else. They're doing more. Why aren't you doing more? And it's like, you can't turn that voice off sometimes. It's really hard. It's really hard. Right. I've got no transition from there. I was trying to think of a witty transition to go from programming brains to KFC. But I want to pick your brains on this one, Victor, on this point. KFC has appointed RAP, R-A-P-P, um, to manage the CRM side of things. Now, the, and the cluster here is a CRM agency partner in the UK and Ireland. I did not know that there was this in-between for big brands and CRMs. Did you realize that? Did you have you come across this before of of CRM agencies? This is a rare moment in this week in sales where Will Barron has actually taught me something that I had no clue existed. <laughs> so no, I did not know Will. So explain that. Do you know what that is? Can you walk walk us through that? I think it's very literally they've outsourced a lot of uh, whether it be sales ops, sales engineering to this other organization, and they act as a go between. So you've got your reps putting in data, doing whatever. KFC needs to do to sell chicken, and then you've got a you've got the CRM on the other end of it, and this agency is helping uh, mitigate all that. And I guess if you were unsure which CRM to choose, and an organisation that's doing, I assuming, billions of dollars in revenue, you probably would want to hire an expert and some or a team of expertise in different CRMs to. Because uh, I'm assuming this is linked to marketing, it's linked to operations. The CRM will be the backbone of a lot of the stuff they do over there, and so you'd have an agency come in and and do those make those arrangements for you. It, it, it is another example of there's money to be made if you really look hard enough, right? Mm -hmm. And this person, this company found a way of being a middleman, so to speak, uh, because people do have a hard time choosing at times what is the right CRM because not only is it a big investment financially, but in terms of time and effort, sunk cost, once you go down a certain road, it's really hard to come back from that. So that is a big decision. So they saw the need, they took it. Good for them. Sure. And, and as I say this, I know HubSpot's one of the big growth channels, obviously the, the masters of inbound content and inbound marketing, right? But they have, um, I was listening to an interview with the CEO a couple of days ago uh, that was recorded years and years ago. And they, he was talking about this idea of um, having agency partners. And so they do an accreditation scheme so you can get accredited as 
an expert in HubSpot. So this is more for marketing implementation rather than CRM, but I'm sure it covers CRM as well. But they chose to, rather than have um, a, a massive, vast team all over the world, clearly they've got a sales team and a support team, but rather than having essentially micro offices all, the place, all over the place, they will allow other people to, they outsource the the onboarding, all that kind of thing and the agency work um, over at HubSpot.com. So uh, I guess maybe it's it's right there underneath all our noses, Victor, and we've just not been paying attention to it. I mean, it's a good strategy. What One of my coaching clients is a big cloud company and they're an IBM partner and a Microsoft partner as well. And so it's really interesting how many partners they have as you say, they, they basically hired partners as, as, as opposed to having an infrastructure, a scaled up infrastructure. If you think of sales training, you know, I mean, there's there's companies, I think we talked about, uh, was it Value Selling Associates, the VSA? You know, they're in the fractional VPs of selling, right? Which means they have partners and then they become fractional VPs for other companies. So these are interesting models that are popping up. And I think the pandemic is going to push a lot of this remote model even further. For sure. And isn't Sandler a franchise model? Can't you become a Sandler seller by taking their training and, and becoming like a franchisee? Right. And I don't know. If, yes, absolutely. So uh, Sandler is a franchise company, a franchisee, uh, or you can become a franchisee. But I don't know if VSA is. Um, I, sure. I, I wonder if they look at it different, because I think once you say franchise here in the U.S., you fall under certain guidelines. Uh, I think they're using a more of a partner program. And I don't know. I'm not sure. It could be a franchise program, but I think it's a partner program. And what the differences are, I don't know, but it's an interesting model. And I think more and more people are moving towards this, this 1099 world. I think the pandemic has brought about this shift towards 1099. For us, that means you're an independent contractor, you know, a gun for hire. And I'm, I really like that idea. I don't know about the US, but in the UK, Uber and Europe, Uber's just now gone to court and lost all the litigation. And implore, it, drivers now for Uber in the UK, I think I'm getting this right. I can Google it in a second if I continue to stumble on this. But I'm pretty sure they're now classed as employees. So Uber has to give them uh, you know, time off work or uh, vacation pay and all this kind of stuff, which probably going to just knacker that whole marketplace overnight. Yeah, it's going to raise the prices for sure on any you know drive time. So that's an interesting move. But yeah, I think this whole thing about being a partner in between, why not? People need help. By the way, before we forget to tell the folks, uh, for any feedback, love to hear your comments, go to thisweekinsales.com. We'd love to hear from you. Good stuff. Well, let's, we talked about HubSpot. Let's move back on to HubSpot. They've just expanded their CRM platform with the launch of Operations Hub. Uh, this is a new product designed to transform the role of, I'm quoting here, designed to trans transform the role of operations professionals across the business world and empower them to take on center stage, helping the company scale. Um, what I was less interested in the operations side of things here, and you can find all this over at hubspot.com forward slash products, forward slash operations, which we'll include in the show notes of this episode over at thisweekinsell.com. I was less interested in the the fact that they've launched this new thing because it's not for our audience probably. Uh, there be, might be some sales ops people that'd be interested. But what is interesting to me is something that we talked about kind of on the other end of the scale, a bunch of times on the show before, of the likes of Salesforce going and buying all these companies and then amalgamating them into one beast that is Salesforce.com, HubSpot. And tell me if you are aware of this, so I won't go into too much detail if you are. But they have one single code base. They develop their own products as opposed to acquiring them so that they can build their, um, what they call it, their, their operations hub. And it all fits together nicely and all the data goes back and forth and I think the marketing calls it like there's one source of truth or there's one set of data that everyone's pulling from. What do you think about that, Victor, as an approach of building like your own thing that all works seamlessly as opposed to just going and acquiring whatever's what whatever's hot at the moment? It, you know, it's interesting because it, it's all about strategy, right? So the, the one strategy is we create our own ecosystem, right? Kind of like we control the code and therefore you can almost control the structural integrity of the actual code, right? The others might say, well, what about you know APIs? If I want to slap something and I want to use something different, that's not HubSpot. So it's all about strategy. I think it's a wise strategy to have your own platform, just like Apple has their own platform. Maybe down the road, they'll put some APIs if they don't already. But what I liked about this article was that it's reminding me of an ERP system, right? Because they have a content hub. You know, they have, again, now this operations hub, sales hub, and all this is really coming together nicely. So I, I think they've got to figure it out, man. I think they know where they want to go. And it, it's becoming 
very competitive toward you. When you look at a sales force in a HubSpot, you see them bolting all this stuff on there. And one can only imagine the underlaying, you know, the, the, the foundational software, the AI stuff that's running underneath all this is going to be fascinating. As you said, the data can go back and forth all across these different departments. So now they can manage the true customer experience from the service side all the way to the end experience, feedback, net promoter scores, blah, blah, so forth and so on. Smart. And, and that's just the data isn't going back and forth. The data is here, and you're all accessing it. So that's why that's why it's going to be seamless. That's why it's going to be easier for them to uh, move forward and, and to build stuff like the operations hub. That's how you do it, man. That's how you do it. Speaking of API integrations, that's my transition here. Terminus. Nice. Terminus. Work, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Terminus announced <laughs> its next generation API integration with LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Terminus originally integrated with LinkedIn Marketing Solutions back in 2018. The next-gen API integration now includes improved account matching and targeting, campaign-level reporting. This is the part I want to talk to you about, Will. Support for all LinkedIn ad types. The new integration, let me describe that. The new integration means mutual customers from, I guess, LinkedIn and Terminus can use LinkedIn ad formats, including sponsored contact, video ads, lead gen forms, and more. Customers can leverage the native tools within LinkedIn, campaign manager using a Terminus account list. I interpret this to mean that they're able to fully integrate now, move their customers back and forth between LinkedIn and their Terminus platform in a very, using your word, in a very seamless manner. What do you think of this idea? And how much, you know, how much credence do you put in LinkedIn when it comes to marketing? I am going to be experimenting with LinkedIn marketing, the ad platform in the next probably like eight weeks. And we, we can talk about it on the show if you like. I'm pretty open with how we do our ads because um, we've got a relaunch of our of our product or it sells into org, the sales accelerator. It's going to be called something else. Slightly different branding. And um, yeah, there's all cool stuff going on in the background. So we use LinkedIn uh, for advertising. Now, LinkedIn versus Facebook, LinkedIn is so expensive. And so I've never managed to make it profitable. We can spend an ad, we can spend a dollar on Facebook and make like $1.5 back. And so obviously, as soon as you can do that, you want to dump as much cash into it as possible. On LinkedIn, I've not managed to do that. Now, on this perspective, I feel like what's going on here is more, this is more for the enterprise as opposed to for me. Terminus is a, a account-based marketing solution. This is probably to go in and spend a shitload of money to surround everyone within the account and do it uh, surgically as opposed to blasting people on Facebook who follow Grant Cardone or follow you or follow my profile, which is how the targeting usually works until the Facebook API picks up and starts doing its own work in the background. So yeah, this is interesting. I don't think they're allowing you to pull customers from LinkedIn into Terminus. I think this is just an advertising um, API where you can say, well, I want to target this, this, and this. And then LinkedIn goes, give me your money and we'll put ads in front of these people for you. So it's probably not as sophisticated as kind of what it seems on the surface. But if you are a B2B salesperson and you want to sell into me medical devices, I want to sell into Bradford Hospital. And I want to surround Bradford Hospital with content about how our product is, uh, our surgical imaging system is superior to the, the previous generation. So we'll leave the competitors out of it. We've just got a new generation of imaging equipment. It's now 4K rather than HD. It now has bendable scope, endoscopes rather than straight ones. You could throw 10, 15, 20 grand a, a campaign here with the upside being a couple of million in new imaging equipment and new operating room sales and just dominate that account. Every time a surgeon logs onto LinkedIn, they're seeing your product, your service, your brand over and over. This could be like game-changing if you, from an account-based marketing perspective. And then obviously this trickles down to salespeople because they're going to get the inbound leads from that marketing content. Absolutely. Great description. Yeah, I think they're looking at how do we have, we have an existing database of customers we've sold to in the past, have connected. Instead of trying to figure out who we dealt with on LinkedIn, this is almost like a matching. Okay, let's pair up who we've done business for and then let's decide which accounts we're going to encircle. So it's an interesting app. I mean, I thought I'd bring it up only because we don't usually talk about LinkedIn marketing. And so there's companies out there really hustling to get more of that business or give LinkedIn more of their money. Take your pick. Yep. And as I said, I'm one of those suckers as well, Victor. I'm I didn't say suckers. Go. I didn't say suckers. I didn't say, because we no, just- No, no, I'm, I'm calling myself a sucker. We threw, we threw thousands at LinkedIn and got you know hundreds of dollars back in, well, probably spent- I, I, Let me be real. We probably spent about five grand and maybe got one or two customers. So maybe we weren't far off breaking, yeah. breaking even. I, I've invested, you know, uh, also in LinkedIn and my ROI isn't the best. I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I'm not super happy with them. I've done better actually with, with Google ads than LinkedIn. 
Now, maybe it's just well, me. you and I, Victor, need to have a conversation because both of us need to be doing YouTube ads. Yeah. You, sir, are a sucker if you've got 200,000 subscribers on YouTube and you're not advertising directly to 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. That you, you have got no the respect level just gone unless you turn around to me and tell me right now that you're doing it as, as I'm kind of uh, rinsing you here. I, I, got, I, we, I, I got to ask, uh, so, so my daughter does all my marketing, so I got to ask her what yeah. we're doing. And I'll yeah. ask, her, ask her, I need you to tell me this before I, I respond to Will. So right now I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same. What are we on? Like 46,000 subscribers. And I barely do Congrats. any advertising on YouTube. Congratulations. Our bro. audiences are tuning in on video, a quick ad on our own content. Forget anyone else's content. Prime prime customers there. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk about the audience like we're just kind of like trying to pull money out of them. Uh, but but we're both running businesses here. The content. Yeah, we're trying to close deals. But, but, and by the way, yeah. don't minimize your 46,000. That's a lot of subscribers, man. That, 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 you got you to be up there right now, right? Because, I mean, most most sales trainers have, you know, 10,000, maybe 15,000. Only a few get above, you know, they don't get to that number that easily. So, have you seen Easily. That, this is like five years of my life. That's what I'm saying. So that's, what I'm saying. They don't get there that e- that's what I'm saying. They don't get there that easily. I sure. guess it isn't easy, but you know what I mean. Uh, but I think, have you have you looked at your competitors, you know, what they're doing in terms of, you know, subscribers? Because you're, you're up there. 46,000 is a lot. Well, look, there's, uh, to get be very real, on my whiteboard in there, there is Grant Cardone. Now, cl- you know, clearly, we, I, I know you have a relationship with Grant. I've been back and forth over email with him a bunch of times. He's offered me different pieces of advice, um, but I'm not like mates with him. But he's at the top. Now, he clearly does uh, self-help, real estate, all kinds of different things. So it's, I, I class him as like semi-sales training. Um, but then you're... Definitely at the top of that, 200,000 subscribers. Then there's uh, Mark, I think his name's Mark Wayshack. I think he's just gone over 100,000. He's doing really well. His, he does like two or three videos a week, kind of just facing the camera. I'll link to these in the show notes as well. This yep. episode. He's, he's done um, some, by the way, he's, he does some good work. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I, I think the big dog still out there is Brian Tracy. Sure. I think Brian has about, <laughs> call him Brian like I know him, uh, <laughs> which I don't. Uh, but I think he has, I think he has close to a million, if not more. Should look that one up. But he's the same. It's it's not just sales training, is it? it, it it's all kinds of just stuff. He does on his, on his platform. He does a lot of motivation, leadership, <laughs> and but pure sales training. I mean, I gotta look him up. I gotta look him up just to see what he has. It's just curiosity here. It just Brian Tracy has one point two two million folks, and yeah, he talk in this case for example, he talks about self discipline, maximum achievement, the seven mental laws of yeah, well, the seven mental laws of power of personal achievement. So yeah, he does more than that. He's really more broad. But in terms of pure sales, uh, I think I'm close to the top. You are the top. You you you, you were there. Don't be humble about it. You, you're killing it. That, that's because I, I could blow up this number by doing a bunch of motivational videos or uh, going down that kind of route or find the other niches. You, they could do a million views a video by talking about the bullshit that is the law of attraction and stuff like that. But sticking just to B2B sales training. Um, no, you're killing it, and I, I don't think I'm too far behind. All right, man. We're going to get there to the top. But yeah, Mark is doing some great work, too. Like I said, I've seen his numbers rise. He's growing. He's going to probably surpass me in a couple of years. You know, he's going so quickly. He's advertising very hard. I see him advertising on LinkedIn quite hard. So it must be working for him. Cool. Well, I need to drop Mark a message and uh, have a word with him then. Just, yeah. tell, just tell him we're talking time. smack about him. Victor and I were talking smack about him. <laughs> I'm to listen to the whole of the episode. Just uh, they'll they'll go well. They'll just be very, very kind of polite about my content. Uh, maybe we should jump on a call. Well done. Right, moving on to more uh, sales technology news. Pipedrive introduces smart docs to enhance remote sales and help close deals faster. This is from streetinsider.com, but obviously you can find out more about this over at pipedrive.com. Now, Pipedrive's new smart docs, or the uh, people who signed up to Smart Docs Pro, can sign electronically. And they can share documents internally. Basically, DocuSign and Dropbox, all in one seamless platform. And if you're a salesperson, you live within the CRM. This is probably pretty handy. I think so. As soon as I saw it, I, I, I thought the same thing. I didn't tie the Dropbox. I said DocuSign. But you're right. And Dropbox. So it's all in there. And probably Proposify, right? Mm-hmm. That company we've talked about in the past. So all, the, I mean, again, what we're seeing, as you said, this, this amalgamation of all these different features on their one ecosystem platform. So they're almost like HubSpot, right? They're trying to bring it all in-house and do it on one platform. Good for them, man. Yeah. And if you can get those documents internally and you're not kind of logging into Dropbox to suck the data from them, 
they're all there in your database. You can do all kinds of cool machine learning and AI stuff to toss out what's working, what gets signed quicker. And that the, the next generation of CRMs is clearly going to be data-driven. So by investing in tools like this now, you're lining yourself up for a brighter future, I feel. I think I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but if not, I'm going to mention it again. And this may be the first time this phrase, this terminology has come to the forefront. Only on thisweekinsales.com, please leave us your feedback. And I think from this point forward, we should start, in fact, 2022, we should drop the word CRM and call it I-CRM. I for intelligence. What do you think? I-CRM, small I-CRM. Like iPhone, I think, small I. I think uh, I can say I think Apple might have something to do with this. I think you might have some, you know, I have some attorneys knocking on your front door, Victor, if you start doing a low, a low case I and then capital CRM after it. I think ICRM is a good idea. ICRM. See, I don't even know if it is CRM anymore. Maybe there's a better way to phrase this up and and to to encapsulate it from a marketing perspective. Anyway, because customer relationship management. You're not really managing your customer relationships at this point when you've got marketing involved in it. You've got sales ops. You've got um, the, the HubSpot tools for operations. It's not really a CRM anymore. It's almost... It's a CJM. Um, it's a CJM. Customer that? journey management. Yeah. All right. That's two phrases I've coined today. Yeah. I'm doing good. <laughs> but I don't like the management. I like the customer journey. Customer journey Customer, almost like customer journey storage, but that's a terrible. Yeah. Uh, customer journey platform, uh, CJP, doesn't have a, quite the ring to it. A CJ, yeah. Customer journey. By the way, if you guys have some suggestions, you know, thisweekatsales.com. Love to get your perspective. But you're right, though. It's beyond customer relationship, right? I, I, I'm not crazy about the sales enablement because there's marketing in there. Sales engagement, not really crazy about that one either. We need a new phrase. We need a more all-encompassing phrase. Because we should no, start doing some giveaways, Victor. We should start. I'll give you the money for it, but we should give away some of your books for people who write in with the best answers, and we'll kind of throw them back out on next week. Yeah, show. we should. We should have a giveaway, right? Something that we give for some either the a good comment we highlight. In fact, let's make it a point. We'll just call it a mystery gift, and we'll figure out what that gift is <laughs> going to be. What do you think? Well, all right. So that's it. If you send us a great comment, great insight, great feedback, whatever it is, and we really like it, and we put it on the show, you're going to get. A secret gift. And man, I'm telling you, we can, we can come up with some good secret gifts too, I think. For sure. I'd, I'd be slightly nervous of a package arriving from Victor and Will just at my door. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be prodding it to make sure it's not ticking or to, I'd be giving it a smell, but make sure it doesn't smell funny before I opened it. What is that that he's giving us? Anyway, speaking of sniffing packages at the door, let's talk about how Michael... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't find the Victor, transition. You lost me there, mate. The, the transition a couple, of, a couple of minutes ago, great. Sniffing packages, micro-learning. Yeah. I was like, how is he, how is he going to pull this together? This is going to be incredible. But then, then, no. no hat trick. Anyway, uh, here's a title of an article I read. I thought, I thought I'd bring it to your attention. How micro-learning helps sales teams perform better by Vinak De Silva. One survey in the, indicates that micro-learning can boost engagement to more than 50% deploy, you know, audio snippets, video, <clears throat> engaging quizzes to ensure learners remain engaged with the training program. With micro, by the way, also you talked about micro assessments. I thought that was interesting, are integrated into the sales training program. My question to you, Will, is because you're doing Sales Made Simple, would you view your program as a micro learning program as well or not? So what? I, so I don't want to talk about it too much until it exists. I hate kind of making talking about things that then may or may not happen but there's there's two things that we do here we have what's called a space repetition learning um app within the training product we call it the sales coach and so it takes all the content that you've been through and it's a flashcard system and it gives you 10 essentially flashcards we make it look prettier and make it look sound better than uh, kind of how i'm describing it here but essentially 10 flashcards and that's the micro learning so it takes things that you have potentially forgotten or things that you get wrong you get again soon and things you get right all the time like if it was what does crm stand for you wouldn't get that for another six years because you know what it is and so it, it bounces back on all bounces back and forth um these flashcards so this is how we go about the uh the, the micro learning side of things because i'm there's tons of evidence to show micro learning is effective right there's also tons of evidence to show to really learn you've got to sit there for 20 minutes you've got to watch a video do tasks and actually do the work, which is unfortunate because I would love to do 
one minute micro learnings four times a week and then be able to play piano. It, you can't do it. You need you need periods of being sat down doing the work and then use micro learning is most effective with things like space repetition learning to refine and uh, retain information after the fact. So when people talk about micro assessments and all this kind of stuff, in practice, it's not very, in my experience, it's not very useful because you're interrupting the flow of the content, you're breaking things up, and there's a ton of data that shows, again, you need to sit there and do the work, and then you can re retain it and and, uh, uh, and kind of get it processing and add other branches to the, the knowledge tree after the fact with microlearning. Um, but this kind of stuff is trying to almost pitch that learning sales, which is more of more of a vocational skill. You've got to physically do it in the real world. You can't just learn. You can't just read a book and then be great at selling. Like you could perhaps read a book and, and I don't know, um, you could read a book and then learn to code a simple app because you're, you're doing it verbatim. There's too many variables in sales. And so I'm having a bit of a rant here. But things like micro-assessments, micro-learning, a lot of it is just nonsense. I, I think the... But, but I love what you said is that if you... I, I agree with you on the continuous learning piece, right? Because sometimes you're in the flow of learning. And sometimes when you have very discrete moments of learning, micro-learning, it doesn't stick. But you said something interesting about use the tree branch analogy, uh, analogy is that once you have a nice foundation, I think you can layer micro-learning on top of the foundational stuff. And almost like a sniper, right? Or in your case, you branches, right? You add things where you need to add them as products are developed or new you know, services are brought online. So I would like that approach better. The, the future of all of this, which I can't do, Right now, I would need a, a massive team of developers. I would need acts. I'd need APIs into CRMs. The future of all of this, where it's going over the next five years, and hopefully we'll, we'll get there eventually, is just in time learning. So micro learning, but you're just about to sign a contract. Here's a two minute video explaining X Y Z of how to do that, a framework of how to go about it. You're just about to do X Y Z or one two three. Here's a, a quick uh, podcast. Here's a summary. Whatever it is. That then microlearning becomes incredibly valuable because you can shape the salesperson, the, the whoever it is, whatever industry you're in, and you can you can shape their actions in real time with the the correct process. When you're just doing more random learning and you you're sat waiting for the bus, so you pick up your phone and you do three microlearning assessments. I don't think that's as valuable. So it's kind of we're, we're almost at an in between house right now. Of you need all this real time data. And then you need a tool that is uh, enjoyable to use. If if you're just not going to use it, if it's boring, it's got to almost be. It's cliche to say gamified, but you've got to gamify it. It's got to be interesting to the user. And these are all very difficult problems that billion-dollar companies are trying to solve right now. And it's, it's definitely not in my wheelhouse to do so, but uh, maybe in the future. But these things are like the, the future for sure of sales training, where you have someone come in, they're green, they make a mistake. Immediately after they make a mistake, the, the the call is only twenty seconds long. The you do speech to text to suss out that the buyer said go f yourself, and then they get a piece of learning on how to deal with rejection. That kind of thing. That's the future of all of this. I agree. I you know you mentioned something earlier, and I, I I don't think we're there. I think we, as you say, we're in a tween state when it comes to learning. So I'm agreeing with you because I don't know what that future training is going to look like. But it is more just in time, as you pointed out. So I agree with you. I think it's interesting that your program, or at least what you got going on now, has developed so far using flashcards. And I want to emphasize this because sometimes old school is still new school. And I'll give you a short analogy. I didn't like reading ebooks. You know, or, you know, I just yeah, just give me the physical book until I bought a Kindle Fire, the very the long vertical one, right? And in there, uh, so I tried it and I love the vertical. Uh, for some reason, it was more, it was larger. It was easy to hold in my hand and I could now read. But here's what the interesting part was. When you highlight something throughout the book, towards the end or anytime during the, uh, you're reading the book, you can create flashcards to your point. And I found that to be like what really sold me on, on electronic books now. Because when I'm done with a book, I create the flashcards of everything I highlighted and I go through the flashcards. And I also understand the psychology of learning or how learning works is that you, you learn something, then you, I guess, spend a week or two away from it, go back to the flashcards, 
spend a week or two away, come back to it again, let's say the third time, and the stickiness is that much more. I think the first pass is like 30%. They say the second pass is like 57 to 60%. Third time, you get to 60, 70, whatever the number is. But I think that's interesting that you're doing that as well. So I think that's an interesting, it's low tech, but yet high tech in many ways. So we do that uh, automated with the sales coach. And it's not our algorithm. There's a public algorithm that everyone uses. Uh, there's free software called Anki if you want to make your own flashcards. And I did this, A-N-K-I. I did this for the last sales job I was in, the medical device sales role. I can't remember what, maybe I hadn't done gynecology before and, and I'd always done colorectal, or whatever it was. I need to learn a whole new, the, the body. I needed to learn all these different um parts of the procedure, what goes on, when, where. And I threw them all into Anki and the sales trainer, the, the internal sales trainer at the organization just took all my stuff and then used that as part of his sales training program moving forward because it was so effective to, it doesn't help you with perhaps n deep knowledge and understanding, but it helps you memorize things, which is the you know the, the, the beginning point of of learning and deeper knowledge. But for, for memory things, uh, for, for memory, um, Anki is perfect. It's got the great algorithm. I said, we've got a very similar algorithm over at Salesman.org with our sales coach tool. Um, it's definitely, it's, it's just so much, it's getting people to use it, which is the problem and getting people to put the reps in. But once you see, we have a score that goes up every time you do things on, on the platform. Once you start to see that score goes up, then you've got this feedback loop and then we get into all kind of Dan and Chip Heath kind of content of, of like loops and going back and forth. Um, but that's that's definitely the future of all of this. But that's kind of gamifying, isn't it? Flashcards yep. is gamification in the most simplest mm -hmm. form, but it's gamification. And then when you see your scores go up because you're getting more right than wrong, that's part of gamifying. I love the idea, Matt. I never heard of Anki. That's cool. I'll look into it. Cool. Okay, we're going to skip this next topic because I want to get to Naval. Let's go. Let's talk about Naval Rav Ravikant. Am I saying that right? I think so. So Naval Ravikant is an entrepreneur. Victor sent me a link to a Joe Rogan podcast that I'd seen years ago. Uh, I think it was last week. It was when I was driving back. I stuck it on in the car. I drive back for my dad's birthday and got reminded of it all and reminded myself that he has this, he calls it a tweet storm. I think that's a, a terrible name, like super cheesy. But a series, a series of tweets on how to get rich. Um, Victor, is there anything you want to add before I start to run through some of these? Because I've built my entire business on the back of this tweet storm these fundamental principles of business. Is there anything you want to add before we perhaps look at a couple? So, so what was interesting is that, so as as you know, because we have we have personal offline conversations, right? And I've been telling you that, I, that, that, I'm, that I'm going through like this existential crisis, like where do I want to take my business next, right? And I've been really thinking about, you know, what do I want to do? What do I really want to dive into? You know, I, I need to find some new excitement in terms of content, right? And so I've been kind of scouring the internet, right? And I came across this Joe Rogan podcast with this guy, Naval Ravikant. I don't know, just like divine intervention, the invisible hand of Adam Smith type of thing. And so I'm listening to this guy and he's just, he's an entrepreneur, a tech investor, smart guy, eloquent speaker. I love his tone. His I, I really enjoyed the, and so when I sent you the link and you said, yeah, I built my business around this guy, I was like, what? And so I, I listened to it for the second time and even got some more content. And then I started looking into the guy. And again, this is Naval Ravikant. And again, his name will be in the show notes. And I just thought it was interesting. I, I, I was more fast. I, it was more uh, interesting to find out that you had built your business around a guy that we had never discussed before. Right. And we kind of like, oh, really? You know who he is? I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I, I, I'm rereading or re-listening to his stuff. And there's a lot of great content. For sure. We'll link to uh, a PDF of what we're going to discuss now. And, and also, uh, Naval has his podcast, uh, which I think is over at, if you, nav.al.com. And that's his website. And he goes through all this in more detail. But there's 12 steps, essentially, a framework to becoming rich that Naval talks to talks about. Some of this is super specific and super relevant to salespeople. Some of this is less relevant to salespeople because it's built for entrepreneurs. Can, can I just pause you for a second? Because I, I want to highlight something. He, he, he puts a nice little line between there's wealthy and then there's rich. And so this is what I thought was interesting, right? And we know what the obvious one is. Rich is you got a lot of money. Wealth is when you figured it out so to speak, and you have a lot of money, or you have money enough mm -hmm. to pay your bills. And so I love that simple definition that wealth is really, you know, he always talks about, you know, happiness is not it's a destination type of thing. It's, it's very transitory. But he really talks about how really doing what you enjoy doing, you know, what we already know. But he, what I love about him is that is that he doesn't talk about what some of these other gurus talk about, which is how much money they have. 
Like the guy's not into material things, but he likes material. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't care about money, but he cares about money. And I love that philosophy. That's why I like wealth over rich. For sure. I think he defines wealth as assets that make money while you sleep versus people who search to be rich. They will have big cars, big houses, but they could be in massive debt and they could uh, you know, appear rich, so to speak, but not, uh, not actually have that wealth and assets behind them. So it's clear we, we should all be building assets. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I really want salespeople right now, especially if you're in a marketplace, which is the first point here, pick an industry where you can play long-term games with long-term people. If you want to work in sales, in an industry for long term, you should be building a personal brand around it because you're going to have more opportunities on the back of your personal brand, whether it's speaking, whether it's writing books, whatever it is, whether it's a, a, a consulting business that spins off from your sales job. If you can leverage the contacts that you've got at the organization that you're working right now, you can leverage your, your skill set, your talents, and start to build essentially a bit of a side hustle with your personal brand. That's going to serve you in your sales job. And eventually, it's an asset that will make you money as you sleep, as to Naval's definition here of wealth. Because whether it's advertisements on YouTube videos or LinkedIn are hiring at the moment. I speak to Daniel Disney, a co-host over at uh, The Social Selling Show. LinkedIn are hiring for positions that are basically people are making the assumption that they're going to start paying content creators on the platform, like what Facebook does, like what YouTube does. So you building an audience right now around your job, which hopefully you care about and you're interested in, is going to pay dividends over the next kind of five, 10 years moving forward. I agree. I agree. That's one of the things he hits on a lot is that if you work for somebody, you can never build real wealth long term. But if you build your own brand, there's a difference. So I'll let you take it away. So that's number one is pick an industry where you can play long-term games with long-term people. Don't be changing sales jobs every two weeks. Don't be changing from one organization, one industry to another. The grass isn't always greener. You need to, there's no, I think the basic premise of all of this is there's no get rich quick schemes, right? Is that fair to say? Oh, it's very fair to say. I, I love the fact that he says that. And he says, there are no shortcuts. Hard work is hard work. You got to put your time in. But on this one, the long-term game is also, you can't be, you can't serve many masters. You just got to find out where you're good at and then become that domain expert. He said something interesting in, the, in, in a different podcast. He said, and I think this is with Tim Ferriss. He says, it's not about 10,000 hours to achieve mastery. He says, it's about 10,000 iterations. And I was like, what? That kind of kind of caught me off guard because it's not the hours, it's how many times you've actually done it. And I think that's a good distinction if you want to become a master at what you're doing. For sure. So there's 12 elements here. We won't run through all of them. I'll move on to element three. Learn to sell. Hopefully the audience have got this crushed right now. That's why learn they're here. Build. That's why they're yeah. here. Learn to sell, learn to build. If you can do both, you will be unstoppable. So this is, again, your personal brand. And we'll touch on it in a, in a second of if you can't program, you should be writing books. If you can't uh, build stuff with your hands, you should be doing podcasts. You should be creating media or physical things. You should be building something. Uh, I want to go back. You skipped number two, but I want to I hit number two real quick. It said, pick business partners with high intelligence and energy and integrity. That's the only reason I do this with Will Barron. Just want to highlight that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? If you work with a bunch of idiots, he talks about the idiot's belief is going to be self-fulfilling. If your manager is always moaning that you know, this this isn't the good old days of sales anymore, then that's the that's the world that they're going to create for themselves. That's correct. That's correct. All right, number four. Number four. Arm yourself with, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this, Victor. Specific knowledge, accountability, and leverage. So we're going to run through each of these in a second. Do you feel like sales is specific knowledge? From the definition here of specific knowledge is something that you cannot be trained for. Or is sales truly trainable? Man, that's a hard question. I think, I think because I, I believe in the art and science of selling and certain things you just can't outline in a training manual. You know what I mean? Only experience, iteration will teach you certain things. So uh, that's my answer to that. I agree. So I, I think sales is a great example of specific knowledge. You could do a degree. Uh, we won't get into this because it might be a, a rabbit hole that would take another three hours of conversation. I don't believe you can go to university and become a proficient seller out the other end of it, unless you're doing loads of placements in different organizations. And perhaps you know that would be useful to get that experience. Most of the time, most salespeople, a bit of training on the basics, get the foundations right, the fundamentals, and then be thrown in the deep end you're going to be, it's going to be painful. It's going to be rejectionful, full of rejection. 
uh, we're probably going to come out the other end of that fire a lot quicker and a lot more successful, I feel anyway, than uh, the spending three or four years in a classroom. I agree. It's like a brain surgeon. You can't learn it from a book. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's specific knowledge. Uh, it talks about embracing accountability. So taking business risks under your own name. Again, I feel this is really valuable for salespeople. If you're building your own brand, you should be going to customers and you shouldn't be able to hide behind customer service. You shouldn't be able to hide behind your boss did this or someone's let you down and you can't do... If you take responsibility in front of the customer and you, you become the one point of contact for that customer because you've taken extreme ownership, as Jack or Willick will like, call it, or a, a, a massive accountability you then become an asset that's very difficult for that company to engineer out because the buyer wants to deal with Will because he will come in and solve our problems as opposed to the team where you just throw stuff in and maybe stuff comes out of the black hole. There's something about accountability and honesty that should go together, right? Uh, because customers are looking for you to be accountable. That means be honest. If you screw up, say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Mm -hmm. Let's change that. Let's fix that. You know what I mean? That's true accountability. So I, I love the fact that you include that in there, but you're also accountable for your own learning. So when we talk about sales training, I remind people of this, and I'm sure you do also, Will, is that you're responsible, you're accountable for your own learning. Don't wait for a company to train you. There's so much content out there, your, your site, my site. There's no reason for you not to take personal accountability for your ability to sell well. There's not enough time. You don't have enough time in your life to wait on other people to do this stuff for you. This is one of the premises of, of what we're talking about here, of you need to take ownership of it, you need to get control of it, you need to take accountability of it. We'll talk about leverage in a second. But if you don't, then a sales manager, your sales leadership, they're going to get you to hit target, they're going to pay you the minimum that they possibly can, and they're just going to let you just run yourself ragged and then sack you in 10 years when your performance goes down. No one's out there looking out for your best interests other than you know, perhaps your immediate family, a few good friends. Nobody else gives a shit about you other than those like, few kind of tiny group around you. If you really, you know, if you really push them, uh, if you really looked at it objectively, they're the only people that care about you. So anyone else, especially in the business world, you've got to take responsibility. You've got to push yourself forward because... The, yeah, as I said, people will just take it, not necessarily take advantage, but inadvertently take advantage of you otherwise. I, I love I love that you brought that point up. <clears throat> I'm always about, you can be loyal to a company, but I think that's always, uh, <clears throat> just cut this part out, I can't speak. Victor's it's choking up, he's getting emotional. <laughs> no, I wasn't emotional, I just got my throat dry. There's a tear in Victor's eye. For everyone who's listening to this show and not watching it, I'm not Victor's tearing up. Yeah. I got something going in my throat, I was like, shit. <clears throat> what I love about this accountability part, as I wipe the tears from my eyes, apparently. So what I love about this is that when we look at, you know, you, you hear that phrase corporate loyalty a lot. And it always bothers me because I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't want to be loyal to a company. I want, I want to have a quid pro quo relationship with a company. I give you my service, my abilities to bring in deals. You pay me. That's 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 the extent of our loyalty. So when I hear loyalty, I, I always have this, Ugh, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought that up. You got to look out. When you say you got to look out for yourself, you don't mean that. And I know you don't mean that because I don't mean it this way either. We don't mean that in a screw you way and screw everybody else. We mean it in a take personal accountability. Well, it goes back to point one, play long-term games with uh, you know, long-term partners. If you screw people, you're not going to be able to, you, you nullify the ability to play these long-term games. So you can be selfish by helping people, but yeah, don't don't take any loyalty nonsense from your, your company. Unless you're always one of the very few places on earth. I'm sure there are a few companies with incredible culture where they do look after people, but I'm still somewhat skeptical about those kind of things. You make one mistake and you're gone. Maybe three mistakes and you're gone. But <laughs> your point is well taken. Okay, so next up, fortune requires leverage. I think this is where some of this starts to get a bit more difficult for salespeople. I think salespeople can become rich, become wealthy via everything we've talked about so far, but leverage is something that salespeople don't have as much of as a small business owner, as a entrepreneur of a startup, uh, startup founder, whatever it is. So it says, fortune requires leverage. Business leverage comes from capital, people, and products with no marginal cost of replication. So salespeople can't really leverage capital. We can somewhat leverage people. If you've got people within your team that you can get to help out, if you've got assistants, if you've got marketing, you can leverage physical people within an office or remotely to help you out. Products with no mar uh, products with no marginal cost of replication. I want to reframe here as if you imagine 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 
imagine Victor as a young lad flying around the US and uh, everywhere else in the, in the in the world selling selling products. It's Victor versus the world, right? You have to physically be on the phone, type in an email. Well, now you can scale that effort by creating content, by becoming an expert in your field, by becoming known. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, you had to write a book and then you had to go through all these gatekeepers of publishers and then getting into bookstores and you can't say anything too controversial because then they'll bin you off. Whereas now you can just create content. I like to feel I like to think of content as sitting in a server on a computer somewhere and you've got all these CPUs, all these computers, all these network cables coming out of it, feeding your potential audience. And I feel like this is how salespeople can leverage, uh, use leverage to create fortune by building trust at scale, by building influence at scale, by selling bigger, faster, and you know, larger deal sizes by creating that content up front. And, uh, and that's where I feel the leverage is for salespeople as we try and translate this into, into sales. Yeah, and I think Naval talked about infinite leverage, right? Because the marginal cost of producing content isn't that high. So the question then becomes is, how do we leverage all this technology? I, I take it back to technology. We have so much technology to do things we couldn't do in the past. We can leverage a lot of things. And sometimes I think, Will, we just don't stop and appreciate what you couldn't do 10 years ago compared to what you can do today. And instead of saying, wow, this is too hard to do, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is easy. Your studio, my studio, your studio, because it's much better than mine, would probably cost half a million dollars. If I could just throw a number out there, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And today it costs a fraction of that. So there's so much you can do today that when people complain about, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to do it, I don't know if I can do it. I'm like, no, no, no. Everything's out there for you to create. Infinite leverage is possible. It, 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 it's not even money. You could not you could not have had 4K cameras like we've got here in the studio recording. The hard drives would be too expensive to store it all. And then where do you put it? Because YouTube doesn't exist. There's no platform for it to go on. Like 10, 15 years ago, it just would have been impossible. You would have literally need to have been, um, I don't know, NBC or CNBC, whatever the big networks, Fox, whatever these big networks are, to host the content. And so again, you've got to go through gatekeepers. You've got to be approved. You've got to get people to, well, you've got to wear a suit. You've got to do this. You've got to talk in this way. You can't have a British dude on there because no one's going to understand anything he's saying. All these gatekeepers have disappeared in the past, not even 10 years, over the past five years or so, since I started doing the podcast. When I start, first started doing the sales and podcast, Victor, six years ago, I used to tell people, yeah, I host a podcast. And people go, what's a podcast? Now people are listening to it. Uh, you know, my dad listens to podcasts. My partner listens to podcasts. Everyone listens to them. So the the there's no excuse now not to be in your sales role using some kind of leverage. And I'm not talking about using a automated tool to spam emails at your your marketplace because then you're violating the first rule of playing long term games in a with long term partners. You're just spamming them. They're going to cut you off. You've not got a long term play there. But thinking five ten years ahead of a content strategy of where you want to be. Doing what you're doing now, Victor, of taking a couple of weeks to hit reset and go, okay, where do I want to be in five years now? What do I want to be known for? That is, that's crazy valuable. And unfortunately, salespeople don't always do this because it's so easy just to do the grind, get your head down and, and end up with nothing at the end of it. And it's funny because a lot of these sales folks now, I I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to give salespeople, and I'm sure you do also, a little more credit this time around because they're getting they're becoming more proficient with technology. Right. Like remember video last year or two years ago, you know, getting on video, a Zoom call or a Skype call was like, you know, terrifying. Now it's almost second nature. So I think there's this like, you know, this this new wave of let's leverage technology because we're working remotely. Now we're forced to use it. So maybe this is a, a catalyst. The, the pandemic was a catalyst for people to really learn how to leverage the infinite possibility of technology. For sure. But on that point, if everyone's doing it, then you've got no leverage anymore. Only, if, only I, I would I would push back only if your value the content you're providing is of minimal value then you're absolutely right if it's commoditized content yes you're absolutely right but if you're a subject matter expert I go back to the ten thousand iterations that Naval points to then you're probably going to deliver content that is unique to you based on your experiences and I think that's one of the things he highlights as part of this tweet storm is that that's where you are different because you become the brand and you can't duplicate a will. Thank God. 
<laughs> yeah, like Dolly the sheep version of me at some point. There's like 15 of us sat here to argue between ourselves. If we had two of me doing a podcast thing there, I would literally be able to go, well, I don't believe in that. And like, well, I believe in this. And I'd just play against myself. It would be a shambles. Um, so the next point here, number nine, this is something that, again, this is geared towards entrepreneurs, but I do think it relates to sales. Set and enforce an aspirational personal hourly rate. If fixing a problem will save less than your hourly rate, ignore it. Now, what I feel salespeople, how what I feel like how I feel this relates to salespeople is if you've been tasked to do some bullshit admin work that doesn't help you get close to hitting your sales target, you need to tell somebody or not do it. Just don't do it. Or tell someone that you're not doing it. Because it's just a total waste of your time, your energy. You're there for one reason only. This may change as sales transforms over the next five, 10 years or so, but you're there to hit a quota. So if you're doing admin work because your sales manager doesn't want to do it themselves, or the company that you work for doesn't want to hire a sales engineer to do the, the spreadsheets and all that nonsense, or they don't want to buy software that does it for you, you need to put your hand up and tell someone. And you need to, what's the saying? You need to ask for forgiveness rather than ask for permission with some of this stuff as well. I got in trouble all the time in my sales job. And it wasn't the most healthy, the last sales job I was in, it wasn't the most healthy environment for me, um, you know, mentally and, and from a stress perspective and that side of things. Because I just refused to do anything that wasn't sitting with a customer, a surgeon in operating room, closing deals, adding value to them, teaching them, training them on the products and, and, and getting business done. Now, of course, all of this was forgiven because every year I hit my target. So maybe there's a smarter way to go about some of this than what I did, where I just said, I'm not doing this nonsense. But for salespeople to be spending time doing crap that doesn't generate revenue, this is the aspirational hourly rate equivalent of salespeople. Just don't do it. Yeah, I, I, I would. I'm going to offer another solution. Uh, you know, two above, don't do it, find somebody else to do it. But remember, because of this infinite leverage called technology, we have websites like Upwork, where you can hire a virtual assistant. So if you as a salesperson know that your hourly rate is very high and you need to be focused on sales, I would go hire, if my manager doesn't want to give me any relief, I'm going to hire a virtual assistant. I'm going to be in control of my destiny. I hate to use that phrase, but there it is. But I would control how I did that. I, you may not, you, you definitely won't know this because it was a massive flop. Uh, when I was left my, when I left my sales job, I did some marketing consulting for a competitor and then I started a coffee business. I think we talked about that on the show before. And it was going well, but there was no chance of it scaling and, and, and doing really well. And then I started the Salesman Podcast because I just wanted to explore how to improve in sales. And I looked at the marketplace and there wasn't any sales trainers that I really like felt a, a, an affiliation to, an affinity to. And then that was, you know, that was that. But one of the ideas I had was what you're describing, a sales person assistant company where you pay X money dollars a month as a sales professional, out your own cash, whatever it is. And then you dump work into what would be our cloud of assistance. And then we throw it back at you of, hey, can you polish up this presentation? Boom, comes back out. Hey, can you suss out this, this, and this and do me three graphs on one, two, three? Goes back out. And I couldn't get any traction on it because you'd have to get it from management. People didn't want to spend, the feedback was individual salespeople didn't want to spend their own money on solving this problem because they don't value the time, which is the which is the which is an issue in, in in their own brains kind of thing. So you'd have to get buy-in from management, and then management didn't want to outsource potentially technical uh, documents or things that could be valuable information out to a cloud of just random people in India, essentially, which is where I was sourcing some of these contractors from. Um, but I still think that's a valid product and a service. You just have to get the framing right and probably get a few big customers on board to prove that the trust elements of it. But if that doesn't exist, that should exist already. Yeah, there's got to be a way of doing it. Uh, by the way, if you're hitting your number, then I, I got to believe that if you're hitting your number, I say killing your number, your manager should, if they're smart, give you what you need to sell more. Yep. So if I knew I had a guy hitting quota, he's telling me I could sell more. If I just had somebody do my administrative work, I, as a great manager, I'm like, what do you need? Tell me what he needs so I can clear the road for you. And this, we'll, we'll skip one and we'll come on to point 11 here because this ties in perfectly with what you just said. You should be too busy to do coffee while still keeping an uncluttered calendar. How good are you at this, Victor? This is something <laughs> damn I good. On. I'm so damn good at this. Hey. I'm really good at this. I used to have people always like, you know, uh, hey, Victor, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And I swear to you, years ago, I had on my website a cup of coffee with Victor, $500. And that stopped it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how I stopped people from saying, let's go get a cup of coffee. I said, yeah, 
You because they will say, "Let me buy you a cup," and I said, "All right, here's the link to buy me a cup," and I would send them. It was like victorantonio.com forward slash coffee cup, and that that stopped that nonsense right away. Because what I found, Will, if I can just digress and rant at the same time, is that every time I would go get a cup of coffee, I felt like I was abused. By that, it means I felt people were pulling from me, and I'm willing to give, right? And, but then I'm like, well, what did I get in return? Remember the quid pro quo, value for value. And so I kept, I felt violated. I'll just use that phrase. Every time I left the conversation, I was like, I got nothing out of that but a cup of coffee, which is $5 in the last two hours. Because it's never 10, 15, 20 minutes, as they say, right? And so I stopped doing it. And so now I'm too busy to do coffee. And I try not to clutter my schedule as well. As, you, as you've learned over the last couple of weeks, I've definitely not collected my calendar. I'm saying I, I'm just saying no to a lot of things, and I'm not. I'm. I'm you, remember, we're talking about that voice in your head, the one that makes you feel guilty. Well, 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 well. The dragon I've slain. I think I've slain at least for now, is the FOMO dragon, the fear of missing out. Because you know, I'm not creating this. I, I might be missing out on this. Man, I've slain that dragon for now. I, it's 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 down and out. At least I knocked it out pretty good, and it's laying there on the on the mat, and. <laughs> It's easy for me now to say no to things and not feel guilty about it or have that anxious feeling like maybe I should have done it. I don't have that. Sure. This is something I've learned over the past couple of years. Um, Sam Ovens is a entrepreneur, an entrepreneur coach. I don't know what you I don't know what you'd frame him up as. He's got a really good YouTube channel and he goes into a ton of content. What's that, Victor? Is that is that an oven? Like as in an oven? I'm doing this gesture. Yeah. Will's like, oh. what's that gesture? As an oven? That's my oven. Me opening the door. A-N, I think it is. Okay. Ovan. Okay. Ovan. Okay. Um, I'm willing to be in the show notes this episode of itspeakingsales.com. Okay. He's got some great YouTube videos and uh, doing training products and that side of things. But one of the things that I got from him is that what you just described, I spend time with someone, that time then is my life that I can never get back. Literally gone forever. Just the only thing we have that is finite is the number of days minutes, seconds that we have on the planet, right? I don't know if you're a religious, Victor, but I'm not at all. I'm an atheist. I feel like we die, I'm, I'm in a hole in the floor, and that's it. Hopefully, I've got a massive tombstone, and uh, there's hundreds of people that uh, go and uh, pilgrimage there every week, and there's loads of flowers, and everyone loves it. I always, but, tell, I always tell people I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cautious agnostic. That means... <laughs> Okay, uh, I don't believe in the afterlife, but I'm going to play it safe and follow the rules. Yeah. And then if, if there is one, I'm in. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so similar, right? So I, when someone has coffee with me, and I've never done literal coffee, but I'll do, I used to do a lot of calls with people. I used to do a lot of coaching, especially when people were starting podcasts. And the problem I had was, and you may have experienced this as well, if I'm dealing with someone who's like 10 steps behind me, I can't give them that good advice. I just can't do it because you need to just read a book and just do it. Read a blog, do it. When I'm speaking with people two or three steps behind me, I just got really deflated by the number of individuals that I'd help, I'd spend hours with, literally hours, and they wouldn't do the work. So yeah. I just stopped it all then. Like it was, a, it was almost like a way, self-fulfilling a, prophecy. That's a big chunk of people right there that mm -hmm. I experienced having coffee with. They're like, well, Victor, how do you do this? Just do this. And then and it's funny because I got a lot of people saying, Victor, I want you to coach me. I said, I'll tell you what, do these three things. And when you've done that, Come back and see me, and I'll tell you what you have to do next. Yeah. I think in, in in the last 10 years, maybe one person has come back. Well, what I started doing, Victor, people ask me about podcasts. Can you come on my podcast? Can you do this? So I would say to people, I will come on episode number 10. You get to 10 episodes, and I'll come on. Even if you've got no audience, even if there's three followers, I'll come on and, and, and give you a helping hand. Because you know, people came on my show and helped me out as well. Um, but the, you know, it may be like 10% of people that would ask me these different requests would follow through with them. Right. It's, no, it's amazing. Uh, there's, uh, there's a phrase we have here called ask hole. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, A-S-K ask hole. And I, I've read the definition is like a person who asks for advice, but then never actually executes on the advice. They just keep asking you. Do you know what I mean? And I've met people like that. You want to help them, you give them advice. But they don't do anything, Will. And as you say, you spend two hours with them, and then you feel like, I got nothing out of this conversation. I didn't even get the pleasure of giving you information and seeing you execute on it because you didn't execute. And you yeah. feel deflated after that. So no more coffees, and let's keep an uncluttered calendar. Uncluttered calendar. And this all ties then into the final point. Play iterated games. All returns in life, whether in wealth, relationships, or knowledge, 
come from compound interest. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about having FOMO and fear of missing out and going between different products, videos, training, podcasts, whatever it is, just sticking with the one thing. The, the, the best decision I've ever made business-wise was to commit to doing a thousand episodes of the Salesman Podcast. Because I would have done all kinds of bullshit other things if I hadn't have committed to that. And now it's such a slog to get there that it's taken so many years to, to even get on track of it. I think we're nearing episode 800 or so now that... Uh, that, that, that then builds this momentum, right? It builds what we call the marketing flywheel. And it can be the selling flywheel as well. If you say, right, I love uh, medical devices. I love imaging equipment. I'm going to become known as the top knowledgeable person in this space. I'm going to be a salesperson, but essentially be a, uh, a product expert. Uh, what do you call it? Internally within an organization when someone's the an expert on the product. Yeah, subject matter expert, domain expert, well, whatever. So however we're going to phrase it. You, I'm going to become this. And it's only after that five, 10 years, which sucks. We don't want to hear that, right? It's only after that five or 10 years that all of this starts to materialize and you'll end up one day without realizing it. You'll go, friggin' hell, I am pretty rich. Yeah. And by the way, you know, you, when you said you made the statement, I'm going to do a thousand episodes, right? Uh, I did the same thing with the Sales After Dark live podcast, right? Live streams, rather. And it's funny how that keeps you on track, right? Because you made a commitment, like, you, like, like it's written. And for me, it was like, I got to get to 100. And there were days I'm like, okay, I really don't want to do a live stream tonight. You know, because I was doing it at 9 p.m. at Eastern time here. And I I mean, I remember there was one time, I don't know if I told you a short story, is I was actually in bed. I forgot I had to do a live stream. And somebody texted me, hey, you coming on soon? I was like, oh, shit. I jumped out of bed literally in my skivvies, put my pants up to a shirt on, and then... Oh, tonight we're going to do questions and answer on the, uh, you know, in the sales after dark episode. <laughs> but I, I made it to like 105, but getting to 100 was tough. Getting to 1,000, oh my, let's have a big party on that one, Will. Well, it's going to happen, yeah. I might I might be 27 years away from, from achieving that goal as we kind of slow down with the number of those episodes that go out and increase kind of this week in sales and that side of things. But I think what happens is, and I don't know if you can measure this. I don't know if what I'm saying is scientific. But this is, what, this is how it feels in my brain. My subconscious goes, we well, could do this. You could do this. You could do this. And then when you put something out, I'm not talking about law of attraction here. I'm talking about like social pressure. When you put something out into the universe of, hey, I'm going to do this, isn't this? Tens of thousands of people are going to listen to this episode of me talking about getting to a thousand episodes of the podcast. My brain then goes, you're going to look like a right numpty if you don't get this done now. And then that soothes my subconscious or the reptilian part of your brain that's like, well, what about this? What about this? And you go, okay, head down, just get cracking with it now. And this happens, it's, it's the power of setting goals, right? You set a five-year goal, you set a 10-year goal, and then your brain goes, okay. You know, uses your reticular activating system to find trends, patterns, to, to nudge you towards where you want to go. But when you don't have a goal, when you're just dilly-daddling through life, when you're just faffing around, of course, you're not going to, you can't start with the end in mind because you don't know, you don't know where you're going. I think if you, you know, when you look at a thousand, right, or a hundred in my case, you know, when we talk about smart goals, what is it? Specific, measurable, achievable. What's the R stand for? The last one is timely, whatever it is. That's a smart goal, right? And it's funny because it's so trite and so cliche to say that, but it's so accurate. Once you put a stake in the ground, it's like, that stake quiets the rest of your brain down because you're, you know, there's a, there's another another voice going, shh, we gotta we gotta we gotta focus, right? <laughs> All these other things are starting to talk to you, but that one that one voice is saying, no, 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 we said a thousand, we gotta do a thousand, mm-hmm. and there is power in that. Well, there really is power in that. I, I wish, I tell people who want to start their own uh, YouTube channel or start creating video content, I said, look, I said, to get into the arena or get into the ballpark you got to have at least 100 videos. That's like the table stakes the price of admission to be even known. And it's amazing how many people, if not all the people I've met, have never done it. 100 is just well, too much. I don't know if you remember this. Mm. When we first, I approached you to do this show, I said, well, let's commit to kind of five to 10 episodes and we'll see how we go. I think it's episode three, you said exactly what you said then of we need to do 100 before we'll get the benefits of this. So this is episode 25 now. So we've been doing this for almost half a year or just over half a year, which is insane because it's flown by, hasn't it? Once you make that commitment of 100 episodes, uh, whether it's you know verbally and we kind of like both agreed somewhat to it uh, as opposed to uh, kind of a written contract or anything like that. But once you do agree to it, 
Then it just flies by because you're just doing, and that's what humans are really good at. Humans are really good at going out into the field, plowing. Humans are really good at tracking down an animal and hunting it. Humans aren't very good at typically, but there's a thousand options because there didn't used to be a thousand options. You used to hunt, make clothes, look after kids, or uh, do gardening or, or you know grow plants and that side of things with agriculture. We didn't used to have all these options. So our brains aren't wired to do so. So when you set yourself off on a big audacious goal, whether it be 100 pieces of content, whatever it is, I just feel like you you this, you turn into this like heat-seeking missile and you, just, you your brain just goes, okay, and you start nailing it towards it. Now, of course, there's going to be ups and downs, but it's easier to get over them once you've been, you've got a bit of momentum as well. Yeah, and I, there's something like, for example, this this show, This Week in Sales.com, uh, it's funny how Thursday is blocked out, right? And my brain automatically says, no, I got something on Thursday. No, I got something on Thursday. I, I'm with Will on Thursday. That's And it's like, it just calms my brain down because I don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Because it's fixed. It's locked in. Got to get it done. There's no questioning. It's going to be done. So, But it's amazing how the week just runs by, though. It's Wednesday like, oh, another thisweekinsales.com. Yeah. How exciting. For sure. There's probably some uh, philosopher who's talked about this. But this idea of just blocking out your time and then things magically happening. I feel like that that's how I experience a lot of the business stuff that I do now. I've just done these things for big bucks of time and then we have a massive sponsorship deal come in, like the, the deal we've done with HubSpot. I'll go, oh, crap, where did that come from? But it's just because I've had my head down and just taking the action, do the work. If you read Stephen Pressfield's book, Do the Work, that, that encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about here. He's an author. He talks about this idea of in your brain, um, he talks about it from like a religious perspective as well. He says it's fine to just consider it a part of your brain or you know part of religion. You have this thing called resistance. So resistance is what it's pulling at your heels and stopping you at becoming the person that you could become. And he talks about it from the perspective of a writer of resistance goes, go make another cup of tea. Oh, you need a different pen. Why did why do you change the uh, the software that you're using? This that could be slightly more efficient. When Real all, pros all, all reasons to get out of it. Do the work. Yeah, it's all reasons to get out of it, right? Well, it's mm -hmm. like our that, those those are the voices in your head. Uh, I, we talked about this, and I'll, I'll end on this one. The I, the book I read last year was called Positive Intelligence, and it is my book for 2020. For last year, that was the book, the best book I read because it talked about all these. I think it identified nine different voices in your head. As soon as I read the list, I go, God, it makes sense. And one way to stop the voices is by labeling the voice like, ah, that's the judge, always judging. Or there's the, there's the, the procrastinator trying to get me off task. And it was really interesting for me how it actually worked in identifying these voices. I, I sound schizophrenic or, you know, I don't know. What do you call it? We have multiple personalities, but I don't. I just have one. <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll be one episode, and you'll just start screaming at us down the microphone, and it'll be like, "Oh, that's that's angry, Victor." Yeah, that's angry, Victor. Well. <laughs> but it's a good right. book, though. I get the whole brain chatter thing. I think that's where a lot of people struggle. And I think to your point again, set the goal, be specific, and what was his name? Prescott, do the work. Uh, Stephen Pressfield, do the work. Stephen Pressfield would not come on the Salesman podcast because he was doing the work. He said, "I was like, you, you bastard." That was a, that was the. The perfect response. And I was just like, I, I should have saw it coming. He was like, sorry, I know you're a fan of the book. I'm doing the work. I was like, damn it. Damn it. So there we go. Uh, we'll wrap up with that, Victor. Anything to add before we uh, close out this episode? Uh, no, we have the out uh, one, well, one last thing. We have the Outbound Conference coming up in June, or uh, May rather. And so we'll love people to go. Uh, so, no, it's June, sorry. So go to outboundconference.com, check it out, use the code VICTOR100. So we're going to have it at a live event. And so we got great new speaker lineup. Uh, content I think is going to be great. And I think people are going to be ready in June. I think we're almost sold out of the actual live seats. But you can also are do good? virtual as well. So that's going really well. So outboundconference.com, check it out. Amazing stuff. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes of this episode over at thisweekinsales.com. With everything we talked about, I'm willing to some of Naval's content as well because we were Naval, Naval heavy in this episode. Uh, that was Victor Antonio, sales royalty. My name is Will Barron, founder over at salesman.org. And with that, we'll speak with you again next week on This Week in Sales. <laughs>